You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Philippians chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put their confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me now, consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if, some point, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross, of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, good evening. It's great to be here. Um, let's have that passage open in front of us, as always. And here's the question. Do you live in the power of the resurrection? I'm feeling pretty psyched about tonight because not only is it the last night, um, and so, you know, we're there at the end. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's lovely to have a look at this passage to, to finish. Um, but last night, or maybe the night before, I, I think it was last night, I came in and Joash was wearing shoes. Joash, the seminar leader for Monash, you know. Um, he's, wear, he's, wearing, he's wearing shoes. And I went, you've got shoes on. Um, and he said, he, he said to me, I, I'm teaching a seminar. Uh, and he goes, oh, you got socks on when you preach? And he said it in a slightly judgy way, to be honest. Um, so now I've got my little indoor loafers on. So I don't know what difference it makes, but watch out. Tonight, I've got the loafers on, and I've got on good authority from Joe Ash. This is going to rock and roll. I'm looking forward to it myself. Let's see what happens. Do you live in the power of the resurrection? It says here in this passage in Philippians, and it's just such a tantalizing idea, isn't it? I want to know Christ, says Paul. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And that's what I want to try and dig into tonight. And I'm going to take a very circuitous route tonight, but I'm hoping that we get here. I hope that this is one of those verses that you will just meditate on, you know, keep coming back to on and off for the next year, because it's such a precious and powerful verse. It says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, no, sorry, chapter 1, when it's talking about the power that's at work in us, it doesn't say it's like. It says the mighty power that is work in us, at work in us as Christians is the same power that was in Christ when he was raised from the dead. Not like, the same power. We have the resurrection power at work in us by his spirit. You know, the power of the spirit and the resurrection power are synonymous. It's by the spirit that Christ is raised. That power is at work in us. And I want to know, do you live in the power of the resurrection? Do you feel it? Are you confident of that? It's an incredibly exciting, tantalizing idea. And I want to start off by asking, is Acts the answer? When you're thinking about that question, do I live in the power of the resurrection, is Acts the answer? Because when you go to Acts, it sure looks like, right, in Acts, it looks like the power of the resurrection is at work. Just a few weeks ago um, in staff meeting, I'm going to spend a bit of time here in Acts because I want to disabuse us of this idea that you go to Acts to see what it looks like for the power of the resurrection to work in you. But we're going to do a little bit of work, right? But a few weeks ago in staff meeting, we're looking at um, Acts chapter, chapter 3, and we were reading about this story, an incredible story, where Peter and John are going up uh, to the temple at the time of prayer in the afternoon. There's a beggar by uh, the gate called Beautiful at the, at the temple. Um, he's asking for money. And uh, this is what happened. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. 
expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. What an incredible miracle, right, in the book of Acts. Healed on the spot in an instance, he jumped up and people were absolutely stunned and amazed and we'll come back and have a look at it a bit more in a minute. But there are so many of these stories in Acts, aren't there? Just some of my favourites. I love the story. I love the story Uh, in Acts uh, 20 where there's that guy Eutychus, Atreus, and Paul is preaching on and on and on. Um, This could happen tonight. Who knows? And Eutychus is by the window and he falls asleep and he falls down to his death, right? Falls down to his death. There are so many bits about about this story I love. So Paul runs down, jumps on him. He says, he's not dead. He's just asleep. And and then he doesn't say anything. He just apparently just wakes up and gets up. But this is what I really love, right, about that story in Acts 20. Uh, This is is how it ends, right, that little story. It says, um, then he went upstairs. So Paul went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight... So Paul is talking until daylight, he left. And then it says, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. I'm thinking, so, okay, so if this is a win for people to leave church alive <laughs> and that's why they're comforted, I believe you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and I think this is amazing, but doesn't it kind of cancel it out? He killed him through his preaching, and then he brings him back to life. That's the least you could do, Paul. <laughs> through the night. You're killing his brother, literally. And then you've got that story, don't you, um, where Pete, uh, Peter, not Peter, <laughs> I'm, I'm buddy buddies with the apostle. We talk in visions at night time. <laughs> no, um, no. There's that story of uh, Peter, uh, when, a pers- <laughs> when, a persecution, when a persecution broke out and Herod was persecuting the Christians and um, he put Peter in jail and it says they had four groups of four soldiers guarding it. There were two soldiers by his sides sleeping with him in that cell. He was chained up. An angel comes to him in the middle of the night and says, apparently he says he hit him, hit him. He wakes up. Ah. He goes, get up, Peter. He jumps up and the chains fall off and he, think, he doesn't even think it's real. It's so surreal. He thinks it's a vision. And the angel takes him out through the guards, through the gates under the street, walks down the road for about 100 metres and just vanishes. And then he sort of comes to him, oh, this is real. Isn't this amazing? It is amazing. And this is just a few of the miracles. There are miracles upon miracles in Acts. Surely this is the power of resurrection at work in them. It is. And it absolutely is. The Spirit is powerfully at work in them. How are you going? Do you live in the power of the resurrection? It says in Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched, sorry, that that had touched him, were taken to the sick, 
and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. What? Touched aprons, handkerchiefs. It was taken away somewhere else, and it cast out demons and, and healed them. Can you imagine that? Here we are at Summit, and we're singing along, and you notice... Mel, sorry to pick on you, Mel. I don't know where Mel is. Is Mel here? Anyway, Mel, she's not here. There she is. Amen, Mel. Okay, so um, Mel uh, is a VP at Monash CU, and she's known as a a holy um, and godly woman. I mean, other things as well, but I I won't go there, but a holy and godly woman. Um, And and we're we're singing away. It's it's a a great evening session. And uh, Mel's got a bit of a a sniffle. Uh, and so she, she blows her nose, gets a tissue out of her pocket, blows her nose. She goes to put it back in her pocket, but there are other tissues in there that she's used. So she doesn't, oh, sorry, not used, so she doesn't want to make them dirty. Her other pocket's full. She, what, what do I do? I'll just put it under the chair. She puts it under the chair. And you're a deacon student, and you're just across the aisle. You think that's disgusting, but you're full of grace. You're even more godly. You're a lovely, godly person, and you just turn the other cheek and try to ignore it, but you can't really ignore it because it's gross. There it is. And I hope Mel remembers to pick up that tissue. Sure enough, she does not remember to pick up that tissue. And so everyone walks out, and there's that tissue under that chair. The next day, you're up there playing soccer. Deacon versus Monash. It's a great game. You're having fun. It's mud everywhere. You're all excited. Someone snaps a leg. Oh, no, they're screaming out in pain. Call the ambulance. You, the deacon student, you've got this. You know, word has spread around Summit that Mel put that tissue down and no one's going near it. It's sort of cordoned off. There's a big circle. Everyone's walking around it. You run in there. There's the tissue on the ground. You grab it. You run outside and you say, touch this tissue. And the person in agony, I'm not going to, that's disgusting. What are you doing? I don't want to touch the tissue. Just touch the tissue. I won't touch the tissue. So Mel dabs the broken leg with the tissue and It's healed. The power of resurrection (laughs) powerfully work through our sister Mel. That would be cool, wouldn't it? That would be cool. Do you live in the power of the resurrection? Is Acts the answer? Well, I want to say, no, Acts is not the answer. Acts is not ordinarily what it means for the power of the resurrection to be work at work in you. It is not the answer. For instance, look here in this passage, uh, chapter 3. Sorry, you can just listen, it's okay. The passage which talks about that lame man at the temple gate called Beautiful, being healed powerfully by Peter. Listen to what it says further on. It says, Peter says to the crowd who are stunned, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? You see, there is one understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection working powerfully in you, 
that goes like this. God gives us the spirit and by something that we do, we can release its power. We can walk in its power. Think of it like a, you know, water running through a garden hose. So I'm going to force this a bit. Sorry, just bear with me. Just say, you know, Christians, we're the hose. Us Christians, we're the hose. The Holy Spirit is the water rushing through that hose, right? Rushing through the Christian, working through the Christian. God has turned that tap on full bore. He's giving you the Spirit. All Christians have the Spirit. We know that, okay? But the difference between the Christians through whom the Spirit is working powerfully and who it seems the Spirit is not working through powerfully is that there's like a kink in the hose. You've got it. God's turned it on. You've got the Spirit. You're a Christian. But there's, there's just something blocking the power of the Spirit working in your life powerfully, that power of resurrection. You've somehow thwarted it. And what you've got to do as a Christian is just sort of unkink that hose and then the power will be released. What, how do you unkink the hose? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, d- do a course that teaches you to speak in tongues. Maybe that's step one. I don't know. Just uh, go through a five-step program to, to, to learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit. Um, follow the gurus who call themselves these days apostles who claim to do incredible miracles like they did in the book of Acts. Perhaps follow them. Perhaps they've got something... You can gain from them that will help you be like them. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's one understanding of how to harness or release or step into the resurrection power in your life as a Christian. And often it's, often it's got something to do with like your faith. Is it strong enough or you know, are you sort of some level of holiness or are you anointed or something, right? But look at what it says here. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? My friends, if it isn't about their power, it's not something they're, they're doing, not some technique they've learnt, not something, some sort of knowledge that you have to have to make this work. If it's got nothing to do with their power and it's got nothing to do with their godliness, what's left? (laughs) What do you have to do to unkink that hose if it's not about power or godliness? No, the point he's trying to make here is, you know, this is not at all about us whatsoever. We just happen to be in the right place at the right time. We have a simple Christian faith, just like everyone in this room. Your faith is absolutely no different whatsoever to Peter's faith or John's faith, or my faith, or Paul's faith. It's that same basic faith you put in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's it. And what's going on here is it just so happens that it is the will of God at this time in this place to perform this incredibly powerful miracle, and it tells us why. And it isn't about just releasing the power of the new creation now. It's not about that. It could be about that. It kind of seems like it's about that, but it's not about that. It actually says here, the God of Abraham in this miracle, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. 
What are these miracles about, these incredible, powerful miracles about? It's about demonstrating to all those people at the establishment of the church that this Jesus, who these apostles are talking about, he is the one. He is the Messiah bringing the new creation. And these apostles are authentically witnesses to that same powerful Jesus you've heard about. It's pointing to Jesus. It's not the beginning of the new creation now. It is an embracing of the new creation, right? Being healed like that. But it's not for the sake of bringing the new creation now. It's for the sake of pointing to Jesus and saying he will bring in the new creation. And the reason we know it's just about Jesus is that in response to this incredible miracle that all these people have witnessed, they don't say, come to us and you too will receive this power to heal people and do these crazy, amazing things. They call people to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Got it? That's what it's about. Because by repenting for the forgiveness of sins, that's how you come into this powerful kingdom that has started in Jesus and will come to its fruition when he returns into the new heaven and a new earth. And this idea is, is absolutely backed up and supported very powerfully by the, by the fact that when you go to, through the book of Acts, it is random. Stephen, Acts 7, stoned to death. Peter, miraculously released from prison, at that persecution point, though, from Herod, at the same time, James, his friend, fellow disciple, was killed. He wasn't preserved. It's random. Uh, uh, Paul, his handkerchief is healing people and casting out demons. He was stoned so severely that his friends picked him up thinking he was dead. And what do they do? Pray for him and heal him on the spot? No, he took him home, he rested up, got better. Do you see? This is not just something they can do willy-nilly. It's, it's God who is doing this according to his will to testify to his son. And the healings themselves, the release from prison, that's not the point. It's that we would turn and repent and be saved. So, what does it mean to live in the power of the resurrection? That is not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians and here in Philippians. That he considers to be there for all Christians everywhere all the time. Acts is not the answer. So let's turn back now to Philippians because here is the answer. What does it mean to live in the power of the resurrection? Uh, well, I've got three points. Uh, the first one is uh, let go. Don't flick through them, it's okay. The first one is let go. The second one is lean in. I'm just trying to trigger a few people here. So let go, lean in, and look around. Let go, lean in, look around. This is uh, Paul's teaching on how we live in the power of the resurrection. This whole chapter is really centred on that idea. And I'm just going to try and um, skate through the first point there, um, let go. But here we go. 
So the first thing in Philippians chapter 3 is, in order to live in the power of the resurrection, let go. Look there um, in verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who, this, who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What's Paul's argument there? He's saying that if you live by the flesh and live by the law, it's a futile pursuit. By being circumcised, an old uh, you know, covenant symbol that you're God's people living under law, by being circumcised, you're just mutilating the flesh because you're under law and it doesn't actually work to make you righteous. We need to live by the Spirit, as we talked about last night, right? By living by the Spirit, you're in an ocean in grace, you're in Christ and he has made you holy. So he says, I put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. My confidence is in Christ. It's in living by the Spirit. And then he says, if anyone thinks they have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks it's a good idea to live under the law, let me tell you, as an exemplar of living under the law, it doesn't work. Like I am the person living under the law par excellence, says Paul, and I am telling you it doesn't work. Don't go there. And it's not just about the law. It's about anything we gain in this life. He concludes now, is a loss compared to knowing Christ. He goes on, verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's not saying all other things that we gain in life are utterly useless. He's saying compared to knowing Christ, they are relatively speaking worthless. I consider them not worth gaining now that I know Christ because all other things that I was seeking after in my life that gave it meaning, that gave me purpose, that I thought was going to get me somewhere, I can now see in Christ it doesn't. None of it actually works. Only Christ works. I consider all things lost, having been found in Christ. What a beautiful statement. It's not just about the law. It's about everything that we pursue in life that we think is going to get us the life that we want, life to the full. 
I have this primordial urge every time I go to the beach, and I, I don't know what's going on, but I have a primordial urge, like a dog after a bone, to dig holes in the sand, to, to, dig, to dig trenches in the sand. I love to, to dig channels and trenches that the water flows through, and I'm trying to get it to move from the ocean into a pool or something like that. Well, I was in heaven when I went down to Phillip Island a few years ago with a family, and we went to Cowes and the main beach in Cowes, and there's a nice little lagoon there that's formed by the high tide. When the tide goes down, the water's stuck up on the beach. It's a nice little swimming hole. And it was a summer's day, really crowded, people everywhere. And I walked down there with the family, with the kids, and I saw this lagoon. I thought, boom, I'm just like a dog. I just instinct took over. Straight away, I'm digging a trench from the... I'm going to drain that lagoon from, from the... From the <laughs> I'm drinking a trench from the lagoon right down to the sea, and I'm sort of digging away, digging away. And, it's, and, it, and it, takes, it's, it took me hours. Like, we're there all morning. I'm just digging it. The kids are sometimes helping me. Sometimes I'm taking a break. Uh, come on, honey, have some lunch. Says my wife, go have some lunch, have a break. This is serious work. Get back to the trench. <laughs> digging the trench, and, and, I, and I get up to the, just near the lagoon. Like, I've gone from the sea, this nice deep trench up to the lagoon, and there's that last little bit, like that 10 centimetres left of sand, and it's so satisfying. Right, just knock it out. And the water gushes out down this trench. It feels so satisfying. I feel like I've achieved so much. <laughs> you know, I'm a man, you know. And, and, and it was really funny because I was just completely uh, engrossed in this activity. And I remember you know, knocking out that, that, um, that final bit and the water gushing out and then realising I'm draining the swimming hole. There are all these kids there. <laughs> and, and I've just pulled the flip and plug. <laughs> and I sort of do it like, you know, I sort of, sort of the, the, the satisfaction is sort of, sort of worn off and I'm just looking at my, my handiwork and I'm sort of, oh my God, what the heck am I doing? And then and I'm thinking, oh, I think, kids, it's time to get out of here. <laughs> so, so we walk on. Let's just go a bit faster. I think I can see the pitchforks. Come on, let's get out. So it's... The point is, a bit of a break there, a bit of a break, but the point is, is that in that moment, in that moment, right, it really did feel satisfying and meaningful. I can't explain it. It just did. It was fun. It was a project. I'd accomplished something. It felt like I had a task that I wanted to achieve, and I achieved it when the water gushed down. And five minutes later, it's in the past. It's gone. I really don't care about that anymore. Now it's about burger. Come on, burger time. Like that's, that's the next big project. I'm hungry. And Paul is saying, I, I've been found in Christ. I get it. I've, I, I'm, I'm, I've been raised with him, in him. I'm looking forward to the new creation. All of these projects that I thought were so meaningful, so interesting, so important, I can see how vaporous it is, how, how much it lacks, lacks substance. And I'm, I've let it go. I consider, I consider it as rubbish. It's not an absolute statement. It's not saying marriage is rubbish or buying a house is rubbish. It's a relative statement. R compared to knowing Christ, it is rubbish. That's what he's saying. That's how good, that's how powerful it is to be found in Christ. This is the power of resurrection at work in him. 
Yeah? Do you get it? I'm letting go of all that stuff that I thought was so powerful, so meaningful, so important to, to pursue my career, that I want the money, the house, the dreams, the travel. Really? Have you even met Jesus? Let go. Do you live in the power of the resurrection? It means to let go of that stuff as being that important. And then he says, lean in. And this is the heart of it, lean in. You see, you have a different purpose now in life. You have a different mission that is meaningful. You have a a different job which is of eternal significance. And this is what I want you to grasp. This is what it means to live in the power of the resurrection. I want you to know, verse 10, I want you, sorry, I I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying there? Well, basically what he's saying is, Jesus, you have captured me. You have caught me up in your mission and your glory, and I want to be just like you. I want to mimic the Messiah in the way that I live. I want to carry on your commission. I want to be a part of the cross work. It gives us a bit more detail in um, Philippians uh, chapter 2. It says in Philippians chapter 2, just listen to this carefully. It says there, chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Christian, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Paul wants to follow the same path, the same trajectory, the same mission. He wants to walk in the same footsteps as his saviour. How did Jesus suffer? Well, he suffered by lowering himself, by elevating the needs of others over his own, by pouring himself out that others might be saved. Paul wants to join in that suffering that other people might be saved. He wants to live a life of holiness, of godliness, of love, such that, yes, some people will reject him. Some people will be offended by him, by the way he lives and by what he says. 
and he will miss out on some things that right here and now are fun in the moment, but he's happy to give up because he wants to focus on serving and loving others and putting other people's needs above his own. So he suffers, but at the same time, because of the way he's living, other people come into the kingdom. He's being a part of Jesus' own mission. And so that when he dies, he's dying like Christ as one on this mission of salvation in the world. And because he's died like Christ, he'll be raised like Christ. He's participating in the ministry of Christ. And this is what he means by living in the power of the resurrection. And he says that is a glory as a Christian worth pursuing. There's something off, there's something wrong, there's something really awful about pursuing self-glorification. There's something beautiful and wonderful about pursuing our glory in Christ. That's what we're made for. It's derivative, it's from him, and we get to share in it. Chase after that glory. And that is what Paul is, is getting here. Uh, it seems to me in verse 12, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, he can't quite believe that he gets to participate in the same glorious ministry of his Saviour. He says it really strongly in Colossians. In Colossians it says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice, so get that, he's rejoicing in this, right? Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Two things really stick out there, right? Like the, the biggest one, I think, is the second one, which is I'm filling up my, in my flesh, says Paul, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But what he is saying is that as long as the body of Christ, the church, is carrying on Christ's mission of salvation to the world and in so doing is suffering as it pours itself out that others might be saved. Christ himself is suffering. And the mission to see his salvation go to the ends of the earth is not yet finished, it's not yet complete. The sufferings are not yet done. His suffering It's a part of Christ's mission. It's not yet done. And all Christians, we're all actually caught up in this mission. We're all filling up in our flesh what is still lacking in the sufferings of Christ as the gospel goes to the end of the world. And that is why Paul says, I rejoice because this is so glorious, this mission and ministry that I've been caught up in that Christ has made happen. When I was in high school, I I loved to go uh, rock climbing. And on the next slide there, you'll see a a picture. I don't know if you can see it very well. You can see it pretty well. That's the the organ pipes on Mount Wellington uh, in in Hobart. 
Uh, and and these, this cliff face here is 120 metres high. It's really tall. And um, I'd go uh, sort of rock hopping around there. One time, our science teacher took me and a mate um, from high school um, up to the organ pipes here to climb them, to rock climb them, you know, harnesses, all that kind of all the gear. And um, I'd never done a climb this significant before, and it was um, way above my skill level. But my science teacher was a very, very experienced climber. And so, of course, he took the lead. He, he climbed up, and he's got this rope, and he has all these anchor points as he's climbing up the cliff face and anchoring in this rope. And he gets to the top, and he ties the rope off so that it's really secure. And then we come up after him. And he sort of pulls the rope through his whatever you call it. What do you call it? Belaying, chalk bag, carabiner, whatever. You know, that, that kind of stuff, right? So it's, he's sort of pulling the rope through. He's at the top. It's all anchored really nice and secure. And so I'm climbing up this cliff face. And I can feel the, the rope tugging on me pretty tight so that if I fall off, I'll only drop like, you know, what a matter of centimetres, maybe 20 centimetres. He's really got me secure. There's no way I could have climbed up to the top like him. And there are even parts of that that climb that I simply cannot do. I just can't get over certain sections of that cliff face. And he literally is pulling me up the cliff face. I'm a little, and a little bit embarrassed, just trying to pretend that I'm actually doing it. Oh, there's a spot, you know, Spider-Man. But it's not. He's, he's pulling me up. And so that you get it, I'm going to sort of, it's a bit clunky, but so that you get it, I'm going to kind of use the, use the language here of Philippians, Right? He has gone ahead of me. He's, 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 he's made the pinnacle. He's climbed that. And now I'm following. I'm climbing up. And so because of him, I might somehow attain to the top of that cliff as well. Do you get it? Like somehow I'm going to get there. Somehow I will get to the top of this cliff face. By some miracle that's way beyond me, I get to participate in the glory of Christ's mission. And Paul sees it. This is what my life is all about. This is what every Christian's life is all about now. The power of this resurrection in glory at work in your life now. So that such that you're fully giving yourself over to the work of the Lord. That's just the basic Christian understanding of what their life is all about. This is now your life's mission if you're a Christian. Because the power of resurrection is at work in you, the question is not, will I give myself fully to the work of the Lord? The question is, what will it look like for me to give myself fully to the work of the Lord? We all have different roles to play in the body of Christ. We all have different inclinations, proclivities, tastes, skills, strengths, weaknesses. What role will I play? as I give myself fully to the work of the Lord.
all Christians who are mature should take this view on things. Look what it says here. Look around. This is my last point. Look around. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm scrambling up that cliff face, following in after the achievement of the lead climber. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I, I assume that's talking about what Paul's just been saying. That this is what it looks like for the power of the resurrection to be worked in you, that you follow the ministry and mission of Christ, right? That you share in his sufferings. That you be like him in his death. He's saying this is how we should view things. And if you think differently, don't worry, God will make it clear to you. Just keep on, keep on following Jesus. He will sort it out for you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. They're stuck at the beach digging trenches in the sand thinking this is all there is and thinking it's fantastic. And Paul with tears in his eyes saying, can't you see? But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, what we've been learning about all week, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a passage, what a saviour, what a mission. Is the power of the resurrection at work in you? Do you live in the power of the resurrection? Of course you do. <laughs> Christ has got you. Your job is to take hold of that for which he's taken hold of you. He's dragging you up into his resurrection. Get on board. That's the picture. And as, and as Paul says here, Follow my example, brothers and sisters, and just, as a, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I found it so inspiring hearing about Anna before, didn't you? Such a helpful model. Just keep on taking steps in the direction of serving the Lord. Just do the next thing you can do to serve the Lord as best you can. How about this? I'll finish with this. This is a, a, a great story from, from John Piper. It's biographical. John Piper writes this. 
reflecting on these verses. John Piper writes this, right? Got a bit of a different angle on it, but I think it's helpful. He says the, uh, the Scottish missionary, the Scottish missionary, John Payton, to the New Hebrides, a chain of islands in the South Pacific, this missionary was well acquainted with loss. In 1858, shortly after leaving the ease of Europe for the hardships of the Hebrides, his wife and newborn child died. Over the next several years, his life was characterised by loss and sickness, criticism from respected friends, dangers from cannibalistic natives, and deep communion with Jesus. Because Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11 is true, we shouldn't be surprised about Patton's fascinating fellowship with God. He experienced loss, yes, but oh, the gain. Against the background of so much affliction... Patton walked closer and closer with Jesus. He shared in his sufferings. In one particular story, he hid high in a tree as a band of natives hunted him. Shots from their muskets rang out along with their yells. All the while, he quietly stayed put. He tells about it in his autobiography. He says, never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told my heart to Jesus, alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Saviour's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. That's another layer that as we participate in the ministry of Christ, we meet him there. He comforts us. He's with us by his spirit. And he refines our hope and we get stronger and stronger as we follow as his disciple in the power of the resurrection. What a glorious power at work in us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again that we might be made holy and declared righteous in your sight. And we thank you that it doesn't end there, that we also get to participate in God's saving mission in the world and all the glory and the joy wrapped up in that. Please, God, help us to take hold of that for which you've taken hold of us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. 
We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.